thank you for your prayers and cards and texts and everything else. You uh, are a good family to us, and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, in so doing, I'm going to back up where we finished John chapter 17 uh, two weeks ago, but I want to back up and, and pick up a verse, uh, verse 21, because I think it's critical to emphasize this, especially in the last uh, few weeks as uh, I've depended upon you as friends. It says, Jesus is saying this, and he's saying this to his disciples, may they all be one. And we talked about the unity, how do you become one? How do you have, with this many people, how do you have intimacy? You know, you, typically you think about intimacy, you think about spouse or somebody that you're dating or something like that, but can you really have intimacy in this group? And I believe that you can because that's been displayed through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's an intimacy about their relationship, and they want to share that relationship with us. It says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Do you realize how big that sentence is right there? May they also be in us. If you think back from eternity past, which is a long, long time ago, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all were in existence, and they had this intimacy to themselves, and they said, let's bring others into this intimacy with us. And that's you. And that's you. I think uh, when I think about the friendships here on earth, um, all the times we think about, we think about how do you get friends? How do you keep friends? How do you make friends? How do you, what do you do for your friends? What do you even say to your friends? Um, and we focus on that horizontal relationship. I truly believe if we can figure out the vertical with the Father, if I can figure out what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be in the Father, the Spirit in me, if I can figure that thing out and you guys can figure that thing out, that's where our oneness comes from. We will be much greater friends if that's our unity. If we're trying to have friendship based on doing things for each other and spending time with each other and saying the right things to each other, uh, we will always struggle. But if we're all on the same page, he says, if we can get this intimacy with them and we're all focused, God is in Jesus, Jesus is in God, the Spirit's in us, we're all there together. That's when the fun begins. That's when the intimacy really, really happens in this group. That's when you can become dependent upon one another as a community because you have the same goal. Know the Father. 
Know the Father. Know the Father. Know Jesus. Just get to know Him. Know this Spirit that lives inside of you, this, this Trinity that lives inside of you. And then once you realize that it lives inside of you, you, you realize that it lives inside of the person sitting next to you. And that's the true intimacy. That, he said to his disciples as he's, he's done the Last Supper, he knows he's getting ready to be arrested, he knows that he's getting ready to be put on trial three times, he knows that he's getting ready to be crucified, he says this to his eleven. One's already, Judah's already bolted on him. He says that to his eleven. And now they've got up and somewhere between that upper room Somewhere between that upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, he's had this discussion with them, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. And then we get to chapter 18. I'll look at this one verse in chapter 18. And it says, After Jesus had said these things, chapters 15, 16, 17, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, and his disciples went into it. That's a... That's a pretty big deal. Let, let me show you what that looks like. If I were to go to Google Maps, this is Google Maps, and you can see right there the little red dot is the upper room, and they made this little path from the upper room all the way. You can see the Temple Mount. It's kind of like that gold dot with that big square there. That's the Temple Mount. But they made their way around the right side of that to the Garden of Gethsemane. I know you guys over there can't see, but uh, I'll show these people that can see. Uh, this is the upper room. It's another word for it is the cynical in Jerusalem or Google. But they made their path. It says that it is a 25-minute walk around the Temple Mount through the Kidron Valley and to the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll see these little dots right here. Those are like olive trees. This was the Mount of Olives. Right now, this was all the Mount of Olives, but right now this is a cemetery because the Jews want to be the first to be resurrected when the Messiah returns. So this is valuable space to them. You pay big bucks to be buried there. But that's all a cemetery. But inside here is the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll show, I'll show you a real picture. Go to that, that next picture there. And this is one that we took. This is what it actually looks like nowadays. I took this picture from the top of a building, but this is the southern side of the Temple Mount. The trees right here, the olive trees, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, but this whole little valley just inside there is the Kidron Valley. A group that went with me in April actually got to walk along that Kidron Valley and sit at the southern steps. And then just one more picture. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. I thought somebody uh, did a great job of putting those stones right there in the Garden of Gethsemane because uh, that's a place where peace was sought. It's a place that peace was... That you literally, you can walk in there and you go, this is the place that Jesus went to to pray with His disciples. And you're standing there. What we're getting ready to share right now, we literally stood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's walked around the Kidron Valley and he's pulled up into the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And I jump now to Matthew. We're finally out of John. We've been in John for many weeks. And we jump to Matthew chapter 26. And actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all cover this scenario that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we'll try to touch on all three books today. And we're done with John today. All right. So Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. When Corey and I went uh, probably about six years ago, we literally sat under the tree and said, this had to be the tree. This had to be the tree where Jesus sat. I mean, it was just like perfectly curved for a person to sit under. But it's one of those things that you just try to imagine. And I think it was there... Of all the places that we went in Israel, that was the one that affected me the most, which allowed me to share what I'm going to share not only today, but next Sunday. It says, sit here while I go over there and pray, verse 37, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. We know who the two sons of Zebedee. You can actually go to Mark chapter 14, which is the parallel passage of this passage, and he, Mark names them James and John. So now you've got three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and you can go back and you can reflect on what we've already taught, that back in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus took those three up with him on Mount Hermon, and there they had this transfiguration where Jesus, they saw Jesus in this white robe, and they saw him in this different form. They saw a shadowing, a foreshadowing of what was to come with Jesus. There was something about Peter, James, and John that Jesus had this intimate relationship with that he probably had more with those three than he did the other eight. That was okay. You realize that, right? That Jesus, he had hundreds of disciples. Then he really had about a hundred that followed him. Then he had 12 that he spent time with. And then he had three that Peter, James, and John. And then one he called his beloved. That we think is John. Call it his favorites, whatever. It's just who Jesus connected with and who connected with him. And so now... You've got Peter, James, and John. They, they're the ones. Jesus is like, hey, I need you three. I, I need you to stay up with me and pray. Let's, let's reflect. Let's, let's back up a second. What, what's happened here so far this night is they've already they've done the Passover meal. Remember we talked about the Passover? That's how long ago we've been on this night, this Thursday night. They had the Passover meal, so they had this great meal, and then Jesus did the Lord's Supper with them, and all this time they're like drinking wine during this thing. And then they're walking a good distance, and Jesus says, I want you to stay up with me. you got a full belly, and you've been drinking wine, you've been on this long walk, and I want you to stay up and pray with me. Think about it. It wasn't hard for Jesus to stay up. Because he was going to face the most critical time of his life. Can't sleep when there's 
the thought of what's to come. Sure, the disciples were thinking about it, but they just weren't capable of doing it. They just weren't capable of staying awake. It says this, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful. Some of your translations say grieved and troubled. Some of your translations say distressed. Really? How can Jesus, how can God be grieving and distressed? How's that possible? He's God, right? Because Jesus chose to take on human form. Jesus chose to become like us. Jesus chose to walk in bodily form here on earth. Even though He's God, He came here to experience and to communicate with us on our level. So therefore, Jesus was able to experience the same emotions, the same stress that you sit right here. I promise you, you probably never face the same stress that he was facing. I promise you. To take on the sin of all the world, you're worried about your sin. Take on everybody's sin. Take on Hitler's sin. Took the whole world, right? A little stressful? Probably not going to sleep? It says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He, he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming, but he's never experienced what's coming. I knew my mom was going to die. I prayed for my mom to go home to be with Jesus. But the moment you get that phone call that she's gone, it changes the finality of the whole circumstance. She's not here. It cha- I, there's a difference between knowing what's to come and then actually experience that that was to come. And Jesus knew what was going to happen, but He really hadn't done it yet. And He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Literally, Jesus is saying, my physical body that you all have is about to collapse on me. I've got so much pressure on me that I'm about to physically die myself. He says, Peter, James, John, just remain here right now with me. Stay awake. Pray. Because this is a lot. Mark, you go to Mark chapter 14, verse 33. It says, He took Peter, James, and John with him and they began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He's never, ever experienced that level of stress before. It says, He said to them, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He's asked His three 
superhero disciples, his three best friends, please, can you do this for me? (laughs) You got those three friends, right? They'll do anything for you, right? Yeah, they'll do anything for you. And then jump to Luke twenty-two forty-four. He says, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. There's an actual physiological term for that. Don't ask me what it is. But it's true. You can literally have so much stress that it causes you to bleed externally. And Jesus was at this point. How how is that? Because He chose to come here as man. He chose to come here and experience emotionally what we experience. And then I jump back to Matthew 26, verse 39. We'll stay back in Matthew. He says, going a little further, farther, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. I'm not going to touch that one today. I'll touch that next week. Then he came to his disciples, his three superheroes, and he found them <laughs> sleeping. Oh. The, the men that Jesus was counting on to support him were passed out cold. If that's the case... You're my three best friends. I've asked you to stay up with me. You're about to pass out physically. You go to them and you've asked them to pray and you go to them and you see that they're sleeping. What happens immediately? What happens immediately? We talk about this all the time. I guarantee you the POS kicked in. For those of you that are guests here, the POS is the power of sin. And the power of sin is that that ability that I walk in this human earth body, this shell of a body, and the evil one somehow has it wired to send me evil thoughts. I'm a new creation in Christ. Everything that Keith was going to tell his friend, that he's holy, righteous, redeemed, forgiven, That's me. But somehow I have some crazy evil thoughts. Where in the world did those come from? Because if I'm a new creation, I can't create those myself. It's impossible. I'm a new creation in Christ. So somehow I'm getting this wired from this the evil one. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. Go back and go go to one of these Roman studies. The, The ladies are doing one on Wednesday night. Keith's doing one figure that thing out, but this power of sin just hit Jesus big time. He came here, earthly form, just like us, and he's getting, listen to me, listen to me closely. Jesus is having to deal with the power of sin. 
Jesus never succumbed to sin. Jesus never sinned. Did you hear that? Jesus never sinned. It came out of my mouth. I said that. Jesus never sinned. But He dealt with the power of sin. He dealt with the same thoughts that you're dealing with. And so immediately He sees His three friends that He asked to stay up with Him to support Him. Oh, these guys will do it. And they're asleep. What is He sitting there thinking? Okay, first of all, the unredeemed Jewish leaders have already said, you're not the Messiah. The power of sin sitting there telling Jesus that. None of the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, any of those, the priests, none of them believe that, you're, that he's the Messiah. Judas has already bailed on you. He's walked out a few hours ago. Now you got your three friends that you've asked to pray for and they're just out there sleeping. And then... He literally says at one point in this whole scenario, Father, why have you forsaken me? There's this feeling that Jesus has that His Father is going to become distant from Him. He's in this garden and He's all alone. One of the most critical points of His life. You ever been there? You ever been there? Y'all alone? POS is just working on you? Causing you to think some crazy stuff? Causing you to think nobody cares? Nobody wants anything to do with you? You don't have any friends? I'm in this thing all alone. I got to deal with this all myself. That's what the POS was doing to Jesus. He was busting his chops. <laughs> Sit there and think who understands my pain and suffering more than Jesus? So who did Jesus have? Who did Jesus have? Anybody? Watch this. This is pretty cool. Turn to Luke twenty-two forty-three. Jesus all alone. What's that? An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. <laughs> Jesus had angels. Jesus had angels. By the way, when you die, you don't go be an angel. <laughs> Just letting you know that. You're not going to be an angel. <laughs> Get that straight. The angels, the angels are interesting. Um, they're interesting because two things. There's a battle that's going on even in this room right here right now that we can't see. There's a spiritual battle. You call me crazy, whatever, I get it. I, I, but I know, that I, trust me, I know there's a battle going on here in this room right now. And there's angels that are at war in this room. Good angels and bad angels. Call me crazy, but I believe it with all my heart. And so, 
there's this angel that comes to Jesus and it ministers to Jesus. It's just like Keith said, what do you say to a dying friend? Huh? What does this angel say to Jesus? What do you think the angel says to Jesus? My uh, friend that we've mentioned already several times this morning who's with Jesus is Bob Warren, and he he thought maybe the angel told him this, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 49. It's pretty incredible. But if you go to Isaiah chapter 49, maybe this angel is just right in Jesus' ear and is reminding him about Isaiah 49. Jesus has got the battle going on, POS, nobody's here, nobody's here, everybody's left you, you're on your own, even your father's going to forsake you. But this angel begins to whisper in Jesus' ear, it says, coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me, me referring to Jesus, the angels reminding Jesus, the Lord called you before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. True? Jesus was named before he was born. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, and whom I will be glorified. God said, Jesus, remember, I'll always be glorified. And you, the angel, sitting there telling him, no matter what the POS is telling you, I'm telling you the Father's glorified in you. You right now are being obedient to your Father. You right now are fulfilling prophecy. He says, but I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Yet my vindication is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. Jesus, you're going to endure a lot, but just hang on. It gets better. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, a Jew, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. Look, Jesus is doing all this so the Jews will come to realize that he's the Messiah. How's he doing that? How's he doing that? We'll jump to Romans 11, 11 real quick. How's he do that? It says, I asked then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation comes to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. <laughs> you get this? What Jesus did is Jesus died for the Gentiles, which is you. And as you come close to the Father, as you know the Father, as you know Jesus, and we all become one community, we have love for one another, and everybody realizes it, they realize it and they become jealous of it. Jealous enough that they come back and realize that Jesus is the Messiah in the end. How do the Jews realize that Jesus is the Messiah? Through the church. That's you. That's crazy. Guess we better start acting like the church, huh? Huh. 
that relationship that Jesus has with the church causes the Jews to be jealous and to want it. Hmm. Back to Isaiah. 49, verse 5, the end of 5. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. The angel is saying this to Jesus. He says, It's not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One, says to one who is despised, to one abhorred by the people, to a servant of rulers, Kings will see, princes will stand up, and they will all bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you, Jesus. You're enduring this right now because He's chosen you and you chose to obey. This is what the Lord says, I will answer you in a time of favor. I will help you in the day of salvation. I will keep you, I will appoint you to a covenant for the people to restore the land, to make them possess the desolate inheritances, saying to the prisoners, come out and to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the paths and their pastures will be be on all the barren heights. They will not hunger or thirst. The scorching heat or sun will not strike them for their compassionate one will guide them and lead them to springs. Jesus, this is what you are doing. You're leading. I will make all my mountains into a road and my highways will be raised up. See, these will come from far away, from the north, from the west, and from the land of Sinem. Shout for joy, you heavens. Earth rejoice. Mountains break into joyful shouts, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted ones. Jesus is looking at His disciples going, they left me the power of sins, pounding them, but the angels come and ministered to Him and said, look, Jesus, I know what's going on here. The power of sin has got you so zoomed in on your circumstances right now in the next 24 hours that it's just killing you physically. What I'm trying to get you to do, the angel says to Jesus, is I'm trying to get you to zoom out and see this bigger picture that we've talked about from eternity past. Let me remind you what you, God the Father, have said all along. This is what this is all about. Let's not lose focus on this. You're here. You're doing this thing. You're the one that's going to lead not only the Gentiles, but the Jews to the Father. You've got to see the bigger picture. (laughs) It's interesting that we started this message explaining that we have to have friends. Uh, On a physical level, we can be surrounded by a lot of earthly friends. There's no que- I, I can be surrounded by a lot of earthly friends. But the odds are is that all of y'all are going to fall asleep on me at some point. And I'm going to fall asleep on you. And probably at the most critical hour. But on a spiritual level, we have to zoom out. 
we have to zoom out and see that we are surrounded by a much greater source. There's a much greater source in this room right here. You've got to see the bigger picture. The POS says, zoom in, zoom in on your problems. Jesus is saying, hey, look, there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture here. There's angels that are fighting for you and wanting to minister to you today just like they did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh my. They might even take on the form of a friend today. Those angels. You're surrounded. There's no question you're surrounded. The question is, who's surrounding you today? Who do you see surrounding you? Zoom out, people. You've got to zoom out. It's going to be the only way that we walk through this battle is knowing who has surrounded you. Father, I pray. Uh, I know there are people that are hurting in this room.